0: Hi, everyone. My name is Roni Furone, and this is The Bigger Picture, where we sit down with experts to hear about their journeys, their insights, and the big ideas that drive them. Stay tuned for today's episode. I'm very excited to share this episode with you guys. Today, I spoke with Professor Danny Hamiel, who's a clinical psychologist by trade and a researcher and much, much more. Danny is the head of the Cognitive Behavioral Unit in the Tel Aviv University Mental Health Center and is the director of the Unit for School Interventions at the cohen Harris Center for Resilience, which has been chosen by the Israeli Ministry of Education as the national program for school interventions to promote resilience and help children deal with daily stressors and to cope with trauma. These programs are especially important in cities that are at high risk for mass disasters. Danny has devoted his life to developing programs and interventions that promote well-being in the community and that are scalable. And we speak about how he thinks we can apply the insights of psychology in a way that improves many people's lives rather than just a few. We spoke about CBT, which is a more modern approach to psychotherapy, and what he thinks makes third wave CBT the way to go. I'm an existential psychodynamic fan myself for all of you psychology buffs out there which to put simply means that I like to dig deep and find out how our past experiences shape the way we see the world today but Danny really opened my eyes in this conversation to the strengths of CBT and the amazing changes it can help people make in a relatively short time frame by putting most of the focus on the here and now. Danny's bigger picture is to promote well-being on a larger scale Danny's work is really inspiring, and I hope that you guys find this conversation useful for promoting well-being in your own lives. Here we go. Hi, Danny. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. I would like to give the audience a bit of an origin story on how you came to be a clinical psychologist, what drew you to it, and specifically, I'd like to know if there was ever a moment where you can point. Back to where that's when you knew that you wanted to be a clinical psychologist
1: okay my way was not directly to clinical psychologist not at all I never thought I'll be a psychologist or clinical psychologist um, I started to learn bio- biology in Tel Aviv University and I thought to do some research brain research that was my dream and then after I finished my BA in, uh, in the biology, I was in my way to re- register to the second uh, degree, to the master degree. And uh, one of the uh, lectures, one of my teachers just crossed my way and asked me where I'm going to. And I said, I'm going to register to, for the master degree. And he said, why? And I was surprised about this question. I said, what do you mean, why? I want to be a researcher. I want to be a brain researcher. And he said, uh, he told me, you know what? Let's come to my laboratory. And we went up to his laboratory in in the university. Six, I re- remember it as it was yesterday, sixth floor. And he told me, look, look around you. I said, okay. I said, that's what you want to do in your life? <laughs> and I said, Yes. Uh, and he said, well, sorry to tell you that, but I don't think that you'll be a good researcher. I said, why? Interesting. Why do you say that? And he said, you're not stubborn enough. You're not uh, <laughs> obsessive enough in order to be a researcher. And I think you have to work with people. Wow. It was a shock for me.
0: Yeah, what uh, a revelation.
1: Yes, and... Uh, Just to hear it from my my teacher. I mean, not even a very uh, close person to me. And I went home, uh, went through a white night. Yeah. uh, Some tears, and then I said, "He's right." But yeah, still, I was in my way to philosophy, and I learned philosophy first. And and, was this an? And then I I found out. uh, Just again the, uh, again the. First degree okay, okay. in philosophy uh, from the beginning. The second year, I already knew it's not my direction. Why I, not? What? what because it feel? was too abstract to uh, not really with people. Okay? Right, right. And uh, I knew it, it's not enough for me, but I finished. I, I finished uh, philosophy and then I went to psychology. And yet it wasn't to be a clinical psychologist. It was never crossed my mind. Even when I finished my first degree in psychology, I never thought I would be a psychologist. And uh, I went to learn clinical psychology just for interest. Amazing. That's it. <laughs> and I think that the first time I realized I am going to be a clinical psychologist was when one of my teachers in psychology uh, explained me that the goal of therapy is not to dig in the life of individual, but to help him to get out of himself. Because it, it really looks to me, I didn't like the idea of digging in the life of yeah, a person.
0: the psychodynamic, psychoanalytic
1: right. right, And it was like too narcissistic for me <laughs> to, to dig in, the, in, in one person's life. But at the time that he uh, opened for me a new world uh, uh, with some new attitudes and psychotherapies that are not related to uh, psychodynamic, uh, I opened my eyes and I said, well, maybe I can do that. If the purpose is just to overcome your own life, to get out of your life and not to be stuck uh, to, in your life,
0: to get out of the rut that you're in. Yes,
1: you see, even when I think even today about anxiety, for example, or depression, it looks like why you're so important to be anxious about yourself. It's all—it's always about you and you and you and you—and you have to overcome this kind of looking about yourself only in order to overcome anxiety or to overcome depression. And in my way, I chose in uh, different directions that helped me to do that. Different psychotherapists. Uh, psychotherapists that was not directed inside the person to uh, find out what's going on inside, but to help the person to get out. And a good example of that, maybe maybe some of the audience uh, uh, knows it, it's related to Viktor Frankl.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And the logotherapy of Viktor Frankl, I think that uh, when I realize that I can uh, help people uh, to look for meaning in their lives and right. to see the meaning as a tool to get out of your problems, Right. I said, well, that's that's it. I, I like it.
0: Amazing. And just to give people a bit of a background in, in a sentence, can you tell us what Viktor Frankl's big message is? It is meaning, but...
1: Yes. Just... Uh, Viktor Frankl was uh, um, a big trouble for Freud and his friends. True, <laughs> because he said that things could be uh, more simple. That in order to overcome uh, your that the anxiety or the depression are getting into uh, an the emptiness of the person, the vacuum. And if you feel the vacuum, if you feel this emptiness of the person with meaning, then you can get rid of the anxiety and the depression. So. All his, uh, all his therapy, the logotherapy, the, like the meaning therapy, was to help people to search for meaning as, as a main tool in psychotherapy.
0: And I think, you know, we, we jumped into it already, but one of the things that is important to understand around meaning is that you do find it oftentimes in the service of others or coming out of yourself. And through assuming responsibility. Exactly, you
1: got it. That's (laughs) that's exactly to get out of yourself and related to other people. You always find the meaning outside and not inside. And he was famous about his saying that the door for meaning is to go, is the door outside and not the door inside. Incredible. And that
0: goes against a lot of thinking today of um, we have this whole field of self-help. Right, which is a very uh, self-centered approach. It is very much focusing on yourself and your own betterment, and this is a very different voice from what we're used to. Not necessarily, because okay.
1: you can you can do self-help. I mean, you can work on self-help um, material that relate to this stuff to go out right. of yourself. So, self-help it's it's an area. It's a it's a big area today. Even the therapy by the internet. Mm-hmm. is self help i right. mean not zoom therapy okay or um, writing therapies that you write to your uh, chat therapy it's it's not it's not self it's not self help self help is that you are standing in front of a computer program that the computer program is a kind of uh, smart uh smart machine okay that can give you answers but actually you're talking to yourself right and you're treating yourself and of course uh, specific uh, self-help books doing the same you're you're talking to yourself so it's a good self-help it's not necessarily bad
0: right it doesn't necessarily have to go down a path of um you know narcissism
1: or right. anything like that right
0: okay so as you were saying you found this approach that focused more on helping people come out of themselves and that was m- much more different than the psychoanalytic approach. So can you tell us a bit about this approach that you found uh, and, you know, give it a name and what what about it um, do you connect with
1: and think is effective? Okay, I think that first of all, it was a humanistic psychotherapy like by uh, William Rogers and his friends. and what I found in these areas is the belief in the freedom of a person, of the other of individual, that you can relate to your freedom, that you can uh, uh, get in touch to your freedom. And the past is not necessarily an obstacle, that like you don't have necessarily to solve your past in order to go to go ahead and to find some new things in your life. Because in psychoanalytic theory and practice, you deal with the past. You have to You'd solve have something.
0: To deal it. You yes, have to you, deal with it. Until... Yes, you have to
1: find a solution to your... First of all, you have to understand where, what is the source of your problem, and then you have to solve it in some way. And in the humanistic uh, fields of psychotherapy, you don't have to do that. You have You have to find the power... And many times the power is you get the power from relationship uh, in order to overcome your problem. And it's true that sometimes if you have like deep problems, you have difficulties to relate to other people. So many times the uh, the purpose of therapy is directly to help you how to relate to other people, how to create more. Um, um, uh, equal relationship with other people, how to learn le- to learn how to be assertive, um, um, and these are the specifically the humanistic theories. Uh, catch my mind, and uh, I thought this is this is the way. And actually, Viktor Frankl is one of them. Is also related right. to the humanistic uh, uh, humanistic approaches. But I- w- when I do my uh, internship in psychology, it was dynamic. It was completely dynamic. And my supervisors, they were very nice to me. They understood that I'm doing something different, but they respected that and said, it's okay. It's okay. As long as you know what you're doing, even though it's not our way, it's okay. And till today I really grateful for that. So that they
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: They were very open for that. But then when I finished my internship, one turning point was that there was a, a big strike, a, a big psychologist strike in Israel. And it was, I mean, for a good reason, because salary of psychologists in the public uh, service is always low. But nobody cares. Mm. Nobody. I mean, it was like, who cares? Who cares where psychologists are on strike? I mean, a few months before, there was a, a physician uh, stroke and all the country was like... Around it, and yeah, psychologists. Up in arms about it. That's who cares about it? Who cares about psychologists? And first, I was insulted a little bit, and I said, "How come? I learned so, so many years for that. And nobody cares." And and then I ask, "What is my uh, contribution to the community? How many people can I help?" The so,
0: scale of it.
1: Yes, like my my uh, my wife is a physician. She's a pediatrician and she like she's treating like, I don't know, 10, 20 kids a day. And I, if I'm doing psychodynamic therapy and most psychologists at that time, I'm talking about the 90s, most psychologists did uh, psychodynamic therapy. Then maybe I can do 20 sessions a week. And if uh, average psychotherapy is two years, it means that I can help 10 people a year. She's doing it a day. Wow. And I said, well, maybe this is a good reason why nobody cares because our impact on society is so small. that the, the, the only group that's... A uh... very, very small group of people can, can, can be helped by that, can get some benefit of that. So I wonder maybe I'm doing something wrong. And that's when I went to the U.S. and I learned CBT. Okay. And then cognitive behavioral therapy, which is an, uh, a psychotherapy. First of all, it's much shorter therapy, so around three, six, four months, uh, compared to two years. And it was more, more direct, more simple. Uh, deals with the present. Deal with the coping models of the person. More common sense for people. And I found it m- much better for me and for my patient. I mean, the, the, if you want to say a few words about the, the CBT principles, yes, it's really simple. It's like um, usually we uh, we blame reality on our on our problems. Like we can say, "I am depressed because my wife left me." But if it's so, why do you go to psychotherapy? If the reason is that your wife left so how can i help you okay do, do you really expect me to to change reality to for change you, reality right. to talk to your wife no okay there should be some mediator between reality and my reaction and my emotion and for cbt it was my beliefs my thoughts so if for example i believe that uh, I'm, I'm i'm okay And although I lost my wife and I loved my wife, I probably will find another partner for myself i will be sad, but they will not be depressed. But if my belief is that I'm a loser and there was one chance in my life that one woman agreed to be with me and now even she doesn't want to be with me and that's it, then I'll be depressed. So the goal of therapy is my belief system is my thoughts. So if I can make my thought more realistic, more balanced, not so extreme, I can change my emotion. So if, for example, instead of saying, nobody will love me anymore, I'll say like something like, uh, well, I had a few girlfriends before my wife, although as I'm very sad, probably I have a good chance in the future to have a new relationship, Then. I will not be depressed. So it's so simple. Just change the attitude, change your belief system, and you'll not suffer. You'll not have bad emotion.
0: Right. Now, okay, so one of my questions here is CBT sometimes gets attacked, so to speak, because it can seem mechanistic, right? It can seem, like you said, almost too simple because belief systems are something that's so built in so inherent they develop over years and they do develop um early on so changing these belief systems how how do you how do you see CBT really being able to change these belief systems because as the example that you gave it's it's easy in the moment to rationalize that you know, to, to think about something in a completely different framework of instead of thinking I'm a loser and my wife left me because of that, and actually seeing okay, I've had some good relationships, maybe I can find another woman in the future. There's something that maybe in the moment can give you relief, but how do you make these be- uh, new beliefs lasting?
1: That's that's my question. Okay, so CBT is not only cognitive. Right. It's cognitive behavioral. Right. So, after I realized that my um, cognition is extreme, it's it's not enough. Because I can say, okay, maybe I'm exaggerating, but that's what I feel. Okay, I can say, it doesn't make sense. Really, I, I had relationship before my wife. So why, why do I feel like that? Okay, so there is a, a kind of gap between what I feel and what I think. Okay, rationally, I can understand, you can say to your therapy, I can understand you're right. I don't have a reason to feel like that, but that's the way I feel. And then come the behavioral part. So now you have to behave as if you believe that you will have new relationship. Okay, Okay. so... uh, You can't just talk the talk, you need to walk the walk, so to speak. right, you have to do that. You have to try to start a new relationship. Okay, You have to change your behavior against your emotion. So that's not that stuff. It's not easy. And CBT will give you some help doing that. Some techniques how to uh, calm down your emotions and, uh, uh, be, be, and being able to balance your emotion in, in order to be able to change your behavior. But then you have to change your behavior. And after like many times that you will act against your emotion, then your attitudes will start changing. I I think that's a really important
0: point because when you do act as if, right, in the sense of fake it till you make it, right, you do behave as if you believed these healthier attitudes, something that happens is that you're, overriding you know your subconscious uh, belief systems that you had beforehand you're creating these healthier beliefs and you're almost creating muscle memory all of a sudden you know how to interact with people in a healthier way you you notice that um you, you if it's for instance social anxiety you can see that oh people people do respond well to me when i when i handle the situation uh, handle my anxiety and just uh, take that leap of faith at first and I think I think that's an important point also with CBT is and everything that you've said so far there is this leap of faith that happens that needs to happen at the beginning of of therapy where the person needs to to really want to change and to believe that they can change
1: right and actually it's not a, it's not really fake it. Okay. Because it's it's a fake when you compare it to your emotion, but right. not to your thinking, because you say I understand that I'm wrong, I understand that I'm exaggerating. So I don't have to fake a belief. The only problem is that I don't feel my belief. Like I can say, well, I have a good chance to have a new relationship. Here. OK, in my mind. OK, but in my heart, I feel like no chance.
0: The visceral so, reaction you're getting is right. there's no chance.
1: Right. So it's 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 fighting against your emotion. It's not really fake because you, I mean, you're a rational person and, and you can say, I believe it's possible, but I don't feel like it's possible. So that's why you need somebody sometimes to push you. To, to change your behavior. And actually, when you're depressed, when you're really depressed, and the main technique in CBT is uh, actually to push you to do things uh, against your... I mean, it's like, just do it. For example, if you stay at home and you can't move, like you said, I can't do anything. And then I will tell you, we, we call it uh, activating. Okay, we say, we tell the person, you know what? Can you make yourself a cup of coffee? And he will say, well, well I can, but what for? I mean, life or nothing, I'm this. What for? Why? Can you do that? If you can do that, do it. Okay, so first day, make a cup of coffee for yourself. Okay, second day, can you make a cup of coffee for your girlfriend? I can, but what for? I hate her. I, I don't like her. I hate life. What for? Can you do that? Okay, do it. So second day, I will make up coffee for my friends, and and so on. So you activate the person till the moment that he will start feeling good, better. That he's really activating his life, and then he can he will continue by by himself. Now, third wave CBT. Yes. Okay. It's a completely different story. Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. It's a completely different story. And I moved to third wave CBT because I thought that when you are telling the person, when you you give a a person an alternative way of thinking, like instead of saying, I don't have hope, saying, uh, well, I have hope, but it's difficult for me to believe in, whatever. He knows it. Like if a, if a person will say after I don't know if a child will say nobody loves me uh, after one of his friends didn't like to play with him and he will say nobody loves me and he will come to him and say no no it's not true like let's say that you're his mother or his sister okay I love you it's not going to help him because when he's saying nobody loves me he didn't mean it doesn't mean that he count all the people around him and he found out that nobody loves him. What he would say is, I feel like nobody loves me. I know that it's not true. So I don't need a therapist to tell me that my way of thinking is extreme. I know it. And it's not going to help me. So many times in CBT, and that's one of the disadvantages of CBT, that you start, you get to the point that you start fighting with your patient. Right. Trying to convince him that he's exaggerating. And it's not the right way because actually he knows that. And that's not the issue. The issue is, again, that he feels different.
0: Right. So and he, this this conversation, this dialogue that develops of these are the reasons you shouldn't be feeling this
1: emotion. Don't help you get out right. of the emotion. Right. It even makes you even more stupid. How come you feel like that if it doesn't make any sense? It makes you feel crazy. Right. You're crazy. (laughs) Okay. And I would say when I'm doing third wave CBT, I would say, you're right. You're right. I mean, I'm not fighting with you. If you feel like that, you feel like that. But let's say, what's your problem? What is your problem? Is your problem right now that nobody loves you? Or is your problem is that you feel right now? Or think right now that nobody loves you. Okay. For example, when you sleep, when you are asleep, you don't feel it. Okay. You feel okay. Okay. You feel it now because it's in your mind, in your mind. And our purpose is not to change your mind. Our purpose is to help you to uh, contain the thought, to contain the uh, emotions that related to the thought, and not let the emotion and the thought to activate you. So we are not, we completely ignore the cognitive issue or the rational issue. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe nobody loves you. Yet, this kind of thought activates you in the wrong direction. Actually, many times it will uh, um, bring you, uh, act against your, own, uh, against your own values, against your all, against yourself. So, for example, if you have social anxiety, okay, and you are afraid to talk when other people around you, and now you, let's say that you're a student, and you raise your hand to talk in class, and you have this feeling, oh, it's not good. Everybody's going to laugh at me. It's a disaster. Okay. Now, I can't convince you that this will not happen. I can't convince you. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe everybody will laugh at you. Now, a, a second wave CBT or classical CBT will say, "See, many times other people are making uh, are doing mistakes, and nobody laughs at them, and it's okay." I know that. Right, it's a rationalization. Of right, it. I know. I know that. I don't need you to tell me that. I what I have to do is to be able to survive this emotion, and to look at this emotion as something as a sign of challenging and not as a sign of a threat, and to overcome it and agree to feel the negative emotion. Amazing. So one of the big differences is that in a classical CBT, you try to uh, fix the negative emotion. In 3rd wave CBT, you learn how to have the negative emotion. We don't call it negative emotion. We, We call it unpleasant emotion. You have to learn how to stay with that and see that you can survive it in order not to act against your 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 values because you want to be part of the group right okay? i think i think that's
0: makes all the difference when you don't try to fight the unpleasant emotion you don't try to rationalize out of it but you realize that even even if you're experiencing this whether it's, um, you know, social anxiety, depression, that's, uh, not letting you get out of bed, whatever it is, understanding that you have so much strength within you that you can overcome these challenges. And I think within that, especially in therapy, there's this also the, the therapist is accepting your emotion. They're telling you, I understand it's, it's Sometimes it might even be legitimate right. to, to be scared because life can be scary and there's a lot of things that, um, uh, you know, whether it's the social anxiety, you know, people can laugh at you. And I understand your emotion, but despite the emotion, how can we uh, get you to, to, to do the most with your life, right? And to overcome it and to learn that you have a lot more potential within you, that you don't need to succumb to the negative emotion.
1: This is a critical point. And I can give you uh, at least one example, how this, the way that you relate to the unpleasant emotion is critical to to the way you will behave and to the change that you can create. And just one example is a, a young woman who came to me after she failed six times in driving test. Oh, wow. And she came to me at the night before the 7th. <laughs> and I I told her, well, you are a little bit exaggerating if things that in one evening we can change everything. And he, and she said, you know what? Give me a tip. Give me a tip what to do. And I said, okay, tell me what's happened in in your test. And she said, when, when the um, tester is is entering the car and sitting near me, at the moment that he's sitting in the car, I feel that I am out of breath, that uh, my my heart is beating very fast, that I'm sweating, and I know I'm going to fail. And I say, Why do we say that? That's a good sign. That's a good sign that you are, that you really want. To, to be successful in the test.
0: Right, you're taking your, your it seriously.
1: Right, your body is is reacted. Everything is going up. That's the alert. way it should be. Yep. It's alert, right? That's the way it should go. Why, why do you think these are signs that you are going to uh, uh, to, um, to to lose again the, the game? And she said, I never thought about that. And I said, well, next time, tomorrow, okay, when this will happen, tell yourself, that the reason why you feel all these uh, sensations in your body is the fact that you are challenging yourself. It's very important for you to, to be successful, to get this license, and your body is reacted for that, and that's really good. But it could be the only reason why it was bad in the past is because you were scared because of the symptoms. You, you gave a, a wrong interpretation to the symptoms, and then you're scared, and the symptoms get stronger and stronger. Right. This time, it will not happen because you will tell yourself that it's fine, it's okay. And did she pass? She passed the test. Wow. She passed the test and I I asked her later what's happening. She says, that was exactly what happened. She said, I was paying attention to myself, and this is maybe the first things that you have to do when you want to create a change, is pay to attention. pay attention to yourself, to what's going on inside. I, I gave the new interpretation to what's going on. I looked at the unpleasant emotion as something that is necessary here, something that, say, I'm challenging myself because I can leave the car and I will come down immediately. And that's it. And she did well. And I have a few other examples of that. Incredible. Why this is so important.
0: Another example of the interpretations that we can give, uh, there was a little study that they did where they asked uh Olympic athletes before uh competition, uh, how how do you feel? And they described all of the physical symptoms, you know, heart rate accelerating, I'm I'm a little out of breath, I'm um, you know, I'm I'm very alert, I'm very focused, but they called it excited. Right. And but they gave all of the same physical descriptions that people uh give for anxiety. So it's really that label that we give it, the interpretation. And sometimes, you know, it, you don't need to sugarcoat it and say that you're excited. You can say that you're stressed, but have that be, be your challenge. And right, know you that don't you have can to overcome say it.
1: excited. Excited right. is a little bit too much to it's ask a for a person too, yeah. <laughs> under stress. Maybe maybe at athletics, they, they right, can do right. that. But for a normal person... Uh, it's okay say, to say
0: I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. And I think the respect that you gain for yourself when you... You are scared of something, but you do go out and do it is so therapeutic. And it's um, it, it, I think that's where self-esteem really lies, when you overcome challenges, not, not by being um, super positive and optimistic about everything, but being realistic and saying, okay, this is hard for me, but I'm going to do it anyway.
1: And that's why, and I completely agree with you, it's not so easy. Okay, no. It's not so easy, but it's simple. I mean, the idea is yeah. really simple. And that's why when we think about giving this therapy to many people, it's easier to do or by people who are not mental health professional, it would be easy to do third wave CBT, than CBT. And at the moment I realized, and I get back now to the strike, to psychology strike. Yes, yes. I talked before when I, I, I said I, I must do something different if I want to be uh, important for the community. If I want to affect community, one of the things that I thought about was to use mediators, not, to teach, not to only to do psychotherapy, but to use mediators in order to, in order to get to many people.
0: Okay, and when you say mediators, what do you mean?
1: Okay, so our first, the, the first chance to, to, to check that and to explain that was in Turkey, 1999. It was a big, huge earthquake, mm-hmm. like 30,000 people died in this earthquake. Wow. And we came from Israel to Turkey to help. And we, we thought, well, how, what can we do? So many people. How can you help so many people? And it was the ideas of one of my friends, he's also a teacher now in the, in the IDC, uh, Professor Leo Vollmer. He said, why, why don't we use the teachers in schools? So what we do, we teach, we, we touch teachers to teach the kids stress management techniques and uh, principles. And I think that was the first time that we do it, but this was after trauma. So it wasn't, it was mm-hmm. like, it wasn't therapy, okay? And yet it is through mediators, so we can, how many people we can treat. But if if we can treat like 10 teachers and each teacher can teach 30 kids, we can teach 300 kids in a very short time.
0: Right, the, the scalability of something like that right. is so much and, greater.
1: And, and the results were amazing, like the, the dec- decrease in PTSD symptoms in uh, a month and a half was by 50% compared to other students who didn't go through this uh, uh, um, program. When we came to Israel, when we came back to Israel, I thought, why do we have to wait for a traumatic event? Let's do it as prevention. Right, you don't have to wait for the crisis right. to hit. And we know that like in the Western world... Every moment, 25% 25 of the people suffer from psychiatric disorders. One of four persons in the Western world is suffering from psychiatric disorder. It's a huge number. There's no chance you can get to so many people. So the idea was prevention. And we started it like 20 years ago. And uh, our first chance to check it to, to make a good research, was in 2007, uh, before a war in the southern part of Israel, when we uh, had the chance to get to half of the students, elementary school students in uh, uh, Ashkelon, a small town uh, in the uh, southern part of Israel. And we have the lucky of researcher, like we have a chance only to help 50% of the students. Right. It was the first year of the program. So we went to the half of the schools in Ashkelon, and then there was a war. And the program was not about war, okay? The, the mediator, the teachers, teach were teaching the kids how to deal with normal challenges. Like my father was uh, shouting at me. Uh, and my friends did not... Uh, um, in, um, ask me to, to one of the party or whatever, invite me to a party. And the usual concerns. Usual, yes, u- usual challenges of the kids. No wars, no earthquakes, nothing. And then we got the same, exactly the same results. Like 50, we have 50% less PTSD kids in the group that went through the program compared to the other kids. Who didn't go through the program so this is really what I think it was the first study in the world that show that uh, universe is that you can do universal prevention like it's not preventing I don't know suicide or preventing uh, eating disorders or preventing uh, bullying. It is universal prevention I think it's a proof of concept that you can
0: have a global impact, right? You can have an impact on the collective well-being of an entire group at, on a large scale. And we think of therapy, we think of mental health as this very individualistic thing, but here there is a community that you were able to help of kids.
1: Right. This was my dream. And actually, this years we are giving the program to the uh, Educational Ministry of Israel and it's going to be a official uh, uh part of the official uh, pro, uh, um, educational uh, program of every student in Israel like every student in Israel is going to get resilience program okay, uh, so a few times in his in his life like in the kindergarten second grade uh sixth grades and then at the uh, tenth grade okay and this is by the uh quite a centers that I'm part of it. I'm not the only person there. Uh, and right now we are just giving all the material to the uh, Israeli Ministry of Education and already about 800,000 800, students already went through the program
0: That's in incredible. Israel. That's incredible. That can really make lasting change and very, very substantial impact. I want us to kind of break down this idea of resilience like you said it's a resilience program i want to get into the building blocks of what that means right first a few examples maybe of the the intervention itself and what you teach the the teachers and what they pass on to the children uh, and then let's get a bit into what is resilience
1: okay um Maybe go the other direction. Okay. Maybe, maybe let's us say first what is resilience, and then what are the how can we deliver resilience to the kids, or not only to the kids, because it's not only a program for kids.
0: Okay, let's do, do
1: it. We do the program from uh, age actually three months to wow. eighty. Wow. All all really uh, big variety of, uh, of of ages, and what we think is that when the world outside is not, let's say, how to say, cooperating with us. Mm-hmm. Like we is, don't get what we want. Exactly, and this is this happened many times. <laughs> okay, and there is a gap between our expectation and what we have. So there is frustration, and resilience is how to uh, deal with this frustration of this gap between what we have and what we like to have. And like, there are three areas, three main areas in which we can find the gap. First of all is in ourselves. We want to be more beautiful, more smart. We want to be more strong. Uh, we're not satisfied with ourselves. One reason for frustration. Another reason of frustration is the relation to other people. We want other people to love us, to appreciate us. And it's not always the story. So there is another frustration. And the last frustration is life. Destiny. I know things happen to us that we cannot control. And in all these three areas, although we don't have complete control, we have some control. Like if we're not satisfied with ourselves, we can challenge ourselves. We can try to be better. Okay? We can try to improve ourselves. At the area of relationship, we can have we can be good from outside okay and try to make good relationships so it's not completely not up to us if people will like us or will appreciate or will appreciate us and even destiny is not something that i mean we have to be responsible people okay like we have to to i don't know to take care of ourselves to to drive carefully and and so on so in all these these three areas We can have some uh, control, but the problem is when we try to get complete control. Mm -hmm. If we insist to be like something that we cannot be, if we insist that a specific person will like us, he has to like me or he has to love me or to appreciate me. And when we, uh, for example, insist that we'll we'll get safely from here to Paris, 100%. 100%. If you want 100% confidence that we'll get safely to Paris, probably we'll not go to Paris. Right. Okay? And if you want 100% uh, to be sure that I, if I will um, ask a girl to date, she will say yes, I will not ask her to date me. Right. I like
0: this idea of when you need 100% Control or predictability, then you you become paralyzed. Right. You can't move because you can
1: never have hundred percent. Right, so uh, you will not have control at all. So we are talking about safeness instead of safety. Okay, safeness is a feeling. I have to. I want. Uh, I want to have. Safeness means a uh, sense of control, not control.
0: Right. And I think there's uh, also belief in yourself in the sense of knowing that you can do hard things and knowing that even if something unpredictable, something um, that you weren't expecting uh, comes up at you, you'll still be able to know how to circumvent it and handle
1: it. And if you want to try to predict everything, you'll be paralyzed exactly like that. So teaching resilience is to teach how to do that. The problem is and this, this is really related to third wave CBT, what we said before, is that in order to do that, in order to be satisfied with um, safeness and not making sure that you are safe, then you have to accept unpleasant emotion. You have to accept that your brain is many times going in another direction. Your brains many times want Safety. Insists that you have safety. Your brain will tell you, don't get to this girl. She will say, no, don't do that. Don't take the risk. Okay. Our brain really wants us to be, to feel good. So in a way, he's against challenging ourselves. He's telling you, stay at your area, at your safe area. That's the best thing. Stay in the
0: familiar. Right.
1: It's familiar. Stay there. Here, here you're okay. Don't do that. So many times we have to fight with our brain. So one of the main things is, or the things that we have to te- to teach people in order to improve their resilience is, first of all, to pay attention that the brain many times say the opposite. that the brain is telling you, don't do that. Or you have to do that. You have to make this girl love you. Okay. And then in order to know, so first of all, you have to pay attention for that. And then in order to know, not only not to go to this direction, but what direction to go, we have, and that's what we do in third wave CBT, you have to identify your values. Okay. You, you have to identify what is really important for you and then see the conflict where your brain is directing you to another direction. Like, for example, if you want uh, intimacy with 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 a girlfriend, with with a, with a woman, if you want, I don't know, uh, a shoulder to put your head on, and really some good relationship. Uh, even if you even if you like sex, okay, if, if that's one of your of or your values or part of your values, and if you insist on one girl, and she's saying no, you're going to lose everything, okay, because you are targeting this girl, say, that's it. She has to be that. And then you lose your values. You're missing everything. So this girl is a goal. It's not a value.
0: Right. It's putting things in perspective. Right.
1: In perspective. And and it's even more than perspective. It's like you're missing your value if you insist that it's going to be her. Because then you're going to lose everything.
0: Right. You've narrowed your focus so much. And I think... your whole description so far, there's this stoic idea of all we can control is our attitude towards something, but we can't control what anybody else does.
1: Right. So if if I want to make, to make it more practical, yeah. then I would say I have to learn how to manage my internal world when the external world is not playing exactly as <laughs> I like it to play. So when I'm when I'm talking about my internal world, I'm talking about my physiology, I'm talking about my uh, cognition, about my emotion, my focus of attention. So when we are teaching the program, we are working on all these diamond di- uh, dimension. Sorry, mm-hmm. about all this dimension. So it will be, for example, phys- in, on the physiological dimension, we are teaching uh, slow breathing
0: beautiful
1: which is extremely important technique it's, it's
0: so powerful it's, it's so simple and you know, it's so it's effective simple,
1: it's effective it's effective not only emotionally but also physically i mean there are hundreds of thousands of studies that shows how this is working and we did even in the idc with my student we we did two studies the first one we finished and we published how uh, our slow breathing as a unique technique helps people with test anxiety. Mm. And now we're doing it with PTSD. So breathing is a very powerful technique by itself, just by itself. People who learn how to slow the breath um,
0: right, you can really bring the whole nervous system from a state of anxiety, of a stress response, to a relaxation response. And I think that's important to to just communicate to people because they might associate breathing as this, um, you know, new age kind of practice, yes. but it's so scientifically proven and it's so effective.
1: Um, you see, people are doing breathing for 2000 years.
0: Right. So it must so be it's working. Not it's not new
1: <laughs> in any way. And it's working, uh, and it's it should working, and it work, it's working. And sometimes it's easier to explain it not as a relaxation technique, but as a balancing technique.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Usually, if you're very, if you are under a lot of stress, if you do your breathing, like if you are ten out of ten, you don't get to one. But many times you don't have to get to one. Okay, you get from ten to seven. Ten. You're not efficient. Seven, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it with stress. So it's it more fitting your uh, physiology to the situation than relaxation. Right. It's more adapting to the to the right level of stress. Right, that, the that optimal, you have to be.
0: optimal level of right. stress to function.
1: Right. So breathing and uh, there are some exercise of uh, muscle uh, relaxation, which are very important. And even uh, the pose of your body mm-hmm. is important like we know that uh, in a specific like the ways that you're sitting for example right like if you look just straightforward or if you look down the your way of thinking will be different
0: right these these um these poses that we assume completely change our physiology as well it's it's a two-way highway
1: right there, it's go two directions and although there are there are some um, dispute about this the studies right we know we know that I mean it's important the posture of your body is important in many cases maybe not as it it's not a it's it's not a solution okay it's not enough that you will change your uh, posture and sit i don't know uh, um in a like strong in a strong right, way. Right, the power pose. The pa- they have the yes, power, power pose. It's not, it's not enough. But if it's part of other things that you're doing, it, it's really help. We, right. we know it's it's very important. So this is physiology. Okay. We are working in, uh, we are doing some um, emotional techniques. For example, uh, naming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Naming of the emotion. We know that when you give a name, to your emotion, there is a reduce, uh, even dramatic reduce at the level of your emotion. Like if you are, for example, I don't know, very angry, and you just stop and say to yourself, how do I feel right now? Say, I'm angry. Your emotion is going down dramatically. And I
0: I think, first of all, that's amazing. And I think that it's partly due to this idea that... You know, when we when we have an emotional response to something, there's sometimes there's a call to action there. And when you when you name your emotion, it's telling the brain, okay, I've understood what's going on. I'm aware I've gotten the signal enough now. Right. And there's it paves the way to to deal with the emotion and to deal with the situation that elicited the emotion.
1: Uh, and we, we did it with not we, but mm-hmm. uh, people uh, researchers did it with functional MRI to prove that this is working. The, as the, the amygdala is going down, the activity in the amygdala is decreasing dramatically when you name your emotion, and there is a lot of more action at the um, the more cognitive area of the of the brain when you do that and one very nice application of that is in the kindergarten. Mm-hmm. When we teach the, the kids to identify uh, four emotions, like uh, happiness, uh, anger, sadness, and fear, and in the kindergarten that we that we are working, each each child, when he come to the to the kindergarten, he has to choose, yes, uh, uh, I don't know, a sticker with the face that uh, show his emotion and stick it on the on his drawer, on his private drawer. Wow. The first thing that he's doing when he's when he's getting to the kindergarten, and the teacher said that this is really amazing, but many kids that used to be, to come to the kindergarten, very stressful or angry or afraid to leave their mother, they're just taking the sticker, like, say, afraid, put it in the drawers and get into the kindergarten. That's amazing. Just playing.
0: There's, there's something in that where, first of all, it's directing their attention to emotions, where a lot of times we don't teach kids to even pay attention to what they're feeling. And then there's the naming, the emotion. And then there's this other part of owning your emotion and and being okay to to communicate how right. you're feeling.
1: And the last thing is uh, recognition. Mm-hmm. Like they got recognition to their emotion. Mm-hmm. Like the, the teacher will say, I see that you are angry right now. And surprisingly enough, that's it. it's enough. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I'm angry and I get into the kindergarten. I just, you know now that I'm angry. That's it. Enough.
0: It's amazing how uh, empathy is so simple and so effective and it's really all we need, right? To have our emotional state seen by somebody else. It's um, it's so healing, and to have kids learn this early on, I'm just thinking of how incredible, what an incredible impact it will have on their relationships uh, later on. To have these these tools and this knowledge,
1: so so it's exciting to do it with young people, mm-hmm. but at the same time it's exciting to do it with old people. Okay, and we do it in people 80 years old, and. I must be honest, I think that the best part of what we are doing, I like it. Tell us about that. Because, you know, it's to deal with challenges of uh, young age, it's it's obvious. But what about the challenges of old age, of the third age? Their challenge is not so nice. Their challenge is like, I don't know, how to lose abilities uh, with respect.
0: Yeah, gracefully. And that's not an easy task.
1: Right. It's... It's amazing how much power, strength they got from this kind of workshop. The people who are giving the workshop were people who just retired themselves. So they are looking for meaning for -hmm. their own life. They're learning the the tools, they're learning the techniques on themselves. And then they give it to people 80, 85 years old to help them deal with elderly. And we get great results with that. It looks like, I know people who are really, uh, have many complaints about their kids, nobody's coming to, uh, to, uh, they forgot about me, I'm not important anymore. They learn how to listen, how to pay attention to the kids, and the kids is giving back big one. Like, when they learn, for example, one of them told us, every time I called my, uh, my daughter, she said she's, she's busy. She doesn't have time to talk to me. And then we asked him, what time do you call? What time, do you call? What time of the day you call her? So six, six, six in the afternoon. Said, okay. Six in the afternoon, she has small kids. That's yeah. the awful time to that's call that's her. dinner and bath time. Right, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Ask her what is the best time for you to call her and see what is the difference. And next time he said my daughter was so she was astonished by my question. Wow. Like that I can see her. Yeah. That I can see her and I'm not just thinking about myself. And she gave me back. I mean I mean, next next week she was there with the kids to come to me. That's just a small example.
0: Yeah, but it's amazing how these little things, right, where where you show someone that you do see them, it at the end of the day, especially in a you know, parent-child relationship, we do want to give back to each other. But there's, in these little moments of miscommunication, a lot of times things, you know, fall through the cracks and we we aren't able to reach each other.
1: Right. And this is a small example. They learn how to, for example, to use a cane Mm -hmm. is not uh, losing control, but having control. Like to, to know when to give up, what is the right time to give up, and it's not really giving up. Okay, it's it's a way of control to know when to give up. So this is an important point uh, in their life, and mainly, and this is maybe the uh, most important technique in all our program is the techniques that related to attention. Okay. To um, how to focus your attention at the direction that is good for you. For example. If I have a negative thought, instead of fighting with a thought and um, what I have to or trying to push the thought out of my mind, what we know it's impossible, is how to contain it, how to um, um, broaden your attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, Let's say, for example, that I have a pain somewhere in my body. Automatically, my, all my attention is to the pain. Okay, but the pain is necessary right now. I I can't help it. There's nothing I can do about my pain. I can focus on my pain; it will be disaster. Okay, I will. I can try not to think about it; it will be impossible. What I will do is I will broaden my attention to include in it the pain. Okay, the pain is part of it, is part of my attention, but is now it's small part of my attention. Right, you zoomed out. Yes, exactly. We zoom out. The pain is there. But it, my attention is much broader, and now I can choose what direction I want to go. What I, what direction I, uh, I want to choose right now uh, uh, to to walk on, to to behave, to everything, anything that I want to do right now. So we teach, and this is related to uh, techniques that uh, related to mindfulness and mm-hmm. you know, how to accept. It's related to accept accept the emotion, the negative thought and negative emotion, not fight with it, but not focus on it in order to be able to, to, to be functional. So, broaden attention is one of our main goal. For example, if you're doing a test, and you're attention, and, and I don't know, there are 10 questions, and then you try the first one, no, you don't know the answer. Second one, you don't know the answer. Now you, say, you tell yourself, what, is, what are my chances? I didn't know the first two questions. No chance I will, I will be able to, to have a good grade in this test. If I will keep staying in this way of thinking, probably I'm going to fail the test. So what I, what I, what I have to do is I have to say to myself, shit, okay, that's <laughs> it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But I agree not to find a solution right now to the problem. And what I will do is I will I will have a full test. Okay? And I will go now to question number three. As with my bad feeling, okay, As this is a, the first question for me today. So I have this bad feeling, but I'm not focusing on it and I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm not trying to say, well, it will be okay. No, it will not be okay. Okay, I don't feel like it's going to be okay. So I accept it. I accept it. I accept the the negative feelings and I get to question number three.
0: Right. I think that's, if if you take that into a broader perspective, basically, there's all sorts of things in our life that aren't working the way we want them to. And when we broaden our attention towards other areas, we realize that there's a lot of stuff happening in our life that is going the, the right way. There is a lot to either be happy about, be grateful for. We do have a lot of strengths, even if certain aspects of our life aren't
1: cooperating with us. This is nice if this is working. Right. It's like more, why, why look at that? Look at the other side. The other side is beautiful. Look at the beautiful side. But this, as you said before, even for, it's not working all the time. Right. Because if, I want this to work well. I don't care that the other area areas are good. I want this to be okay, and that's the point that you have to say, okay, accept it that it's not working right now okay i'm I'm not trying to uh to tell you that it's okay
0: yeah, I'm not sugarcoating it
1: okay it's, it's it it's, sucks it's, it's not nice yeah. it's not nice, okay, but I'm asking you not to focus on that mm-hmm. Not even to focus on the on the nice thing.
0: Yeah, you don't have to shift your attention away from it right. completely.
1: Accept it, include it in your attention, and ask yourself what is the right thing for you to do right now. What is what are your values? What direction you want to go? And go this direction. This is important because uh, it's also include the issue of respecting the desires of the people. Like even if your desire is looks impossible. I will never tell any of my patients, it's too much for you. You can't do that. I will never tell him that. I will tell him, okay, do you agree to be in your way? To, to get trust it? the process. Right. Just start, start in this direction. You'll find your way. If you find that it's not right for you, go left or right. But just do it. And... I can give you, I don't know how, to, how many times we have, how much time we have, but this is a really funny example. Yes, please. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a, a patient who, many years ago, he gave me a permission to, to tell the story because it's a really funny story. F- found to be a, fun, a funny story. He came to me and he said that he's, uh, he was really depressed because his girlfriend's left him two years before. He was depressed and he stopped his life. He was no dating other girls. He was not walking. Maybe half time, really depressed. And uh, I asked him if what he did during these two years. Did he go to other psycho? Ther- uh, he said yes. I go to therapy, to therapy. Didn't walk. He said why didn't walk? And he said I went to one therapist, and she said, you know, it's a big issue. You're obsessive about your ex girlfriend, and. Uh, I have to to help you to get rid of this obsession, and we need some time to talk about your childhood to see why you developed this kind of relationship and so on. Now he was suffering a lot. He was like sending, I don't know, uh, dozens of messages every day to his girlfriend. Say, uh, "I, you have to be with me. You ruin our lives. You you did a big mistake." And for some reason, she didn't. I don't know, blocked him for some reason. He was really depressed. But he didn't want to give up his obsession to the girl. So he said, no, this therapy is not good for me. <laughs> so he didn't really go to this therapy. One session. And then he went to another. Another. This was probably psychodynamic therapy. Then he go to another therapist and he told him, well, you're obsessive. Again, the same thing. You're obsessive. I can help you. Get rid of the obsession. Said, no, I want the girl. <laughs> so he came to me and I, I know I have to talk in a different language. And I told him, uh, "Okay." He said, "What do you mean, okay? I help you to to have this uh, get your girlfriend back." He said, "You're crazy." <laughs> so why do you say I'm crazy? You're looking for that for two years. Now you're saying that I'm crazy. So what happened here? Okay, he was ambivalent. Okay, and every time when a person is has some kind of ambivalency, when you push one side, he'll push the other side. Mm-hmm. So when everybody is telling him. No chance, two years, forget about it. She has another boyfriend. He will say, no, I have to get it. I have to get her. And when I told him, I will help you to get her, he said, no chance. Wow. Okay. But it wasn't the end of the story because it wasn't a manipulation for me. For my side, it wasn't manipulation because I, I, I really said, and I know it from my, my uh, experience, how can I tell a person... Am I go- I'm, I'm God? I'm God. Can, I can tell a person that this is not realistic. I saw really more, I mean, miracles much bigger than that, that somebody got back to his, girl's, his ex-girlfriend after two years. How can I tell him that it's not true? So I, it was an honest answer. I will do my best to help you to get back to your girlfriends. But I have two conditions, I told him. Okay. He said, what are the conditions? said, that you will agree to be in your way, and that you will not harm yourself or her. He said, no problem. He said, okay, listen, what's the meaning of that, of the condition you say? I will accept every everything that you will say if you're telling me that you will help me to uh, to get back to my girlfriend." I said, okay, what you have to do is uh, to get back to your life, to normal life. And the meaning getting back to your normal life is to get back to work, date and other girls, continue with your life. And he said, okay, so, but how can I bring my uh, ex-girlfriend back? I said, okay, uh, I'm not sure if I know how to do that, but I will. I, I really will do the best. And the best, I think, is to not to send her any message today. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. I found out he didn't send her any message yet. Probably she'll be really surprised to find out that full day, no messages. And then tomorrow you will send her one message. And this message you will say, I'm very sorry about the last two years that I was annoying you. I really love you. I really want you to be my girlfriend back my girlfriend. I think that we have to live together. That's it. But I will send you if it's okay with you one message a month. Just to remind you that I'm still there. That and that I love you and I want to be your boyfriend. That's it. Wow. And then what happened after once?: What happened? <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he, he, he got in love with some other girl. Okay. obsessively. <laughs> okay. And he was agree to walk about his obsession because he didn't want to lose the new one. Okay. So in this case, I was really respecting his wish to get back to his girlfriend. I said, "Really, who am I to say that it's impossible? And that opened the way
0: to make change in his life.
1: Right. Because if you agree to be in your way, okay, you, you, you target, you, there is a goal, okay? And the goal right now is your friend, is your girlfriend, ex-girlfriend. But you really want love. I mean, your, your value is love. It's not this girlfriend. But that's right the now,
0: higher order goal.
1: Right. And, and it, But for you, it looks like it should be her. And I respect it. Okay, but I will give her a chance to act in a different way. And that's what happened. I learned a lot from this case. I really wow. learned that it's it's really beneficial to respect the desires of, of other people unless they are harming the person himself or other people around him.
0: Yeah, but you really, you know, that approach, you were able to earn his trust enough and to, to really show him that you are on his side.
1: Right, and it wasn't manipulation.
0: No, no, not at all. Because at the end of the day, okay, if that's your agenda, if you want to get back to her, you need to put your life back together, and and that, I mean, I think that's the that's the goal of any therapist. Beautiful, beautiful. So, just for the sake of time, I wanted to ask about um, about everything that we've spoken about today. And about your resilience program specifically. First of all, one question is from our conversation today: What do you want people to leave with? And the second is your resilience program today in schools and in general. How can people um, join in? How they how can they get involved? And how can they support this movement?
1: first of all, I want to stay after this uh, talk with hope yes that we can do a lot and that it sometimes it's much more simple than we think and that uh, the reason why simple things working is because basically in most I think in every person there is a healthy uh, basis that he can reach this this basis and and help himself and the way to do it is not complicated. And you can find help with many uh, self-help programs, not only our program all over the world. People people don't know that uh, you can uh, that there is a lot of uh, internet programs that help people to get out of depression and anxiety and OCD and, and actually every psychiatric disorder uh, that and also, to know when to go to psychotherapist, when it's too complicated to do it yourself and 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 go to psychotherapy. There are also many programs in schools. Our program is not the only is not the only program. Also in Israel is official is going to be the official one. But even in Israel, there are many other programs, and and there are all over the world. There are good programs, usually programs that related to brain studies, new brain studies with new techniques that we know that they are working, we know that they are affecting. Uh, area of the brains that related to well-being and that it's not enough to be not to be sick it's not enough we can do much better uh, we can improve our life we can uh we should respect our desires but go in a in a in a ways that will not hurt ourselves or other people so don't give up so uh, so quickly and uh, don't try to control complete your life because you ruin your life if you, if you try to control, to completely control, control your life and if specifically people want to, to know about this program or um, we, we have a, a website uh, also in English Cohen Harris Resilience Center in Israel, but again you don't have to go to our program I mean, go look at your country at your place, to uh, um, different programs that related to well-being, uh, mindfulness is a great area to go. On. There are many workshops on mindfulness, and I didn't, I, I didn't give enough it, uh, a, enough time here to mm-hmm. this point. Just remind it in in one sentence. But mindfulness, I mean, the the this direction of learning how to be at the moment is is one of the. Maybe that will be a good point to to, cl- to clarify at the end. Okay. Is is one is one important part of compassion. Compassion is uh, is is not a new area, of course, but it's it's really up to date. Many people are dealing today with compassion, with using compassion to replace criticism. Self criticism is 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 really harmful. You can, you can criticize your action. That's fine. You're not supposed to criticize yourself. But when you fail or you feel that you are not doing well or bad things happening to you, you can, you can criticize yourself. But the other direction is to get compassion. And there are three components of compassion. One, one component is being at the moment. So if you fail in something then you should say, I failed right now, okay? And if you failed right now, you can feel compassion for that. If you'll say I'm a failure, I'm compassion for that. So one component is being in the moment. The other component is all these good things that we have that usually we know only how to give to other people to comfort them, to say we love you, you are okay, never mind that you fail, you are smart, you are fine, you are okay. Just all this good stuff that we have inside to learn how to give it to ourselves. And the third part is understanding that being, that having weakness, weaknesses is part of being a human being. And this is what has united us with other people. It's not make us different, but this is what is united us. And if you know these three points, this three dimension of compassion, you can feel compassion to yourself. When you feel compassion to yourself, the compassion, uh, not as mercy, compassion bring you to change. believes that you can do better. And if you if and and if you go, uh, this is also you can find in self help material how to create how how to practice compassion in yourself and how to improve your life by that
0: beautiful that's a great message to end on thank you so much danny for coming to speak with us today you're welcome it
1: was a pleasure for me
0: for everyone out there listening thank you for tuning in to the bigger picture i hope you found this conversation interesting you can find us on all podcasting platforms wherever you get your podcasts Make sure to hit subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. My name is Rowan P. This is The Bigger Picture. Thank you for listening. Until next time.